0: Dr. Jason Lancaster.
1: I know there have been times in your life that you've worked hard at trying to fix a problem only to have it fall apart and you have to try to fix the problem all over again. And we can talk about all those issues within your house another time. But just think about relationships relationships. I don't know if you've ever been working on a relationship for a long time, perhaps months, perhaps years, and and just when you think it's getting better, it tanks, and you're like, here we go again. Or maybe you've worked on some health issue, you've been battling at it months, years, think you got it kicked, and then it comes back with a vengeance. And you're like, here we go again. Or maybe it's a sin problem. And fight fighting and sin, there's a specific sin in your life that you've been dealing with for a long time, you've been in the word and prayer and fellowship and you think, okay, I got victory, and then it comes back. And you're like, here we go again. There's a lot of situations in our life where we have problems, we deal with them, and then they come back. And we're like, here we go again. The Hebrews are in a here we go again situation. They've been feeling the pushback from the culture, persecution, perhaps in the Romans, perhaps from the Judaism, they left. And they were firm and they were strong and they dealt with it and they persevered. And yet it kept coming back. And get this, the strength they had at first, strong. But now that it's coming back again and again and again, they find themselves wavering in a here we go again situation. And our author sees it, and he speaks to it. And there's one something There's something he says in here. Now, we're going to get to it in a second. But there's a phrase in this, in this passage we just read that has stuck with me for so long. Because I felt like, you, know, you ever read the word of God, and I, God's always speaking to us this word. But you ever read the word of God, and you're like, no, that is for me. For real, that is for me. Well, it's all for you, of course. But there's times that it really speaks to you. Well, I was going through a season in my life where things weren't getting better. And I felt like I was in a here-we-go-again situation. And I'm praying, God, change my circumstances. God, change people. God, even change me. And here, here's the word. Here's the word from the Lord, from the Bible. You have need of endurance. No, no, God, I need you to change people. I need you to change this circumstance. I need you to go ahead and just change me. That's fine too. You have need of endurance. That is the word of the Lord to you this morning. You have need of endurance. Even if nothing changes. Let's see it. We're in Hebrews. Been in this book for a long time. We find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 10. Now, I'm mainly going to cover verses 32 through 39. But I want to touch on verses 26 through 31 because we have seen these repetitive warnings again and again and again. You're being warned. Keep going. If you fall back, bail on Christ, you'll be lost. Here's another one of those warnings. I'm going to read it briefly and then we're going to move on. So let's start at verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of the judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God And has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There is a severe judgment that awaits those who bail on Jesus Christ. We've seen these warnings again and again, where believers are to see the warnings and respond, and it helps us persevere. And there's a lot of things in our lives that are scary. If you think about the top two things that people are afraid of in the world, you, you, these interviews, it go something like this: What is the number two thing people are scared of? Death. What's number one? Public speaking. You know what this means, right? So at a funeral, you would rather be in the casket than speaking. And yet there is something terrifying even more, and that should be falling into the hands of the living God and wrath and judgment. But not us, believers. We are those who hear the warnings and respond and keep going, Right? But now we move into these other verses, the rest of the chapter, and and, and it's an encouragement. He gives us warnings and encouragements. And the encouragement you need here, because we're about to go into the most famous chapter of the whole book, right? Chapter 11. We're getting there. We're getting there. This is the tail end. And at the tail end, he's basically going to say, your great need, in fact, your greatest need is not to have your problem solved. Your greatest need is to persevere in doing the will of God. Do you believe that? Your greatest need is not to have your life fixed. Your greatest need is to persevere in doing the will of God. Let's see it. Let's start with verse 32. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. The author is saying, I want you to remember Remember when the initial problems hit of persecution, of insults. You endured great conflict of sufferings. You know, what's really cool about this passage is this is some athletic imagery going on here. Read that again. It says, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. That word conflict or contest is the Greek word athlesis. That's where we get our word athletics. And it's showing how this church aggressively stood firm in their faith in the midst of sufferings. And it's been put this way. They did not suffer as a criminal, but they suffered as an athlete. The early church wasn't suffering with this victim mentality. They were like an athlete that stood firm in Christ did not renounce their faith and they kept going. I want to make sure you get this, because there's one or two people in here. You're either viewing what's happening to you as a victim, or you are seeing what's happening to you as a child of God who needs to fight. And none of them will put it to you in a funny way. You're you're not you're not a victim. You're an athletic child of God. I don't care if you don't have an ounce of athleticism in you. You have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. The power of God is in you to say no to sin and foolishness and yes to Christ. But if you take on the victim mentality that says, I do what I do because of what my parents did to me. I do what I do because what my church did to me or what my neighbors did to me or what my boss did to me and you walk around your life as a victim and you say, well, I'm acting this way because of what's happening to me. I've got to comfort myself in other ways. You're not a victim. You're a child of God, an athletic child of God who can fight against sin, say no to sin and you're in this contest. The early church were not victims. They didn't take on the victim mentality. And they persevered in doing the will of God. Look at verse 33. Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. And partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Well, some say this, this could be persecution from Jews who mistreated those who converted from Judaism to Christianity. Others suggest that this could be Roman persecution in AD 49 under Claudius. Whatever group is in charge of the persecutions is not clear, but we are we're told here, do you see it again? They were made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. The language here is like someone up on a stage and, and as the Hebrew Christians were on the stage of the world, they were being ridiculed and persecuted for their faith. Can you think of someone else who was up on a stage and ridiculed and persecuted for his faith, uh, Jesus, on, a, on the cross for all the world to see? And now it's falling on the early church. And they were publicly insulted and persecuted. Now, I don't know about you, but the human tendency is like, I'm going to pull away from this persecution. I want no part of that. But what does it say the early church did? It says, You were with them. Did you see that language? Side by side. You would get up on the public stage and stand side by side with those who are publicly insulted and persecuted. They, they sympathize with the believers. They visited them in jail, perhaps bringing them some food, pleading for their release. They are saying, we will be associated with those who are being persecuted for their faith. Many of them had their property confiscated. Maybe it was the Roman government taking away their property. And it says it didn't faze them because they had joy. Now I don't know if you have any have anything been stolen from you, right? Like joy is not the first word that comes to mind. And it says they have joy. Why? Because they knew that they had better and lasting possessions. They knew that they had in heaven a possession far superior to the possessions of this earth. So they're able to endure persecution, being thrown in jail, people taking their stuff. Hanging out side by side where it's happening. Why? Because they knew of another reward. And and what is that reward? Well, we're going to see it all through chapter 11, the great faith chapter. Well, what's the reward people are looking forward to? Well, of course, they're looking forward to salvation. But for Christians, we say we are looking forward to our reward. Our reward is Jesus and if Jesus doesn't sound like that great of a reward to you, you need to reevaluate your life and what you're valuing. Paul said to live as Christ, to die is, why in the world is it gain? Well, because you gain Jesus face to face. That is the reward. Salvation being with Christ forever. And I think what's going on here, we could say the Hebrews, what he's telling them, they're called to remember their past as they spiritually stood firm in the face of suffering because they knew the reward of Jesus and his salvation. I'm going to say it again. The Hebrews were called to remember their past as they spiritually stood firm in the face of suffering because they knew the reward of Jesus and his salvation. That's where they're at. But what's the temptation? The temptation is to go back to Judaism because in their mind, Judaism is more comfortable and it's not as costly. And they were wrong. They were wrong. You know, recently I found myself by a furniture store. And I've always seen this furniture online. And I think it is the coolest furniture ever. And so I found myself by that store the other day. And, and, I, and I walked in and I think, wow, this, I've arrived. This is the best furniture ever. It's mid-century modern furniture. It's so cool. So I go over there and I said, I'm going to sit in everything in the store. And I start sitting on the couches and the recliners and the chairs. And it is the most uncomfortable furniture ever. I could not believe it. And I started looking at the price tags. Whoa, what in the world? 2000 what are you kidding me? So not only does it look cool online, but in person it's uncomfortable and costly. And he's speaking to the Jews. He's like, look. I know you think you look at Judaism, it's gonna be great, you're going back there, but it's not gonna be more comfortable there. In fact, it's gonna be costly. It's gonna cost you your eternal life. Don't go back, no matter how great it looks, it's not. And, and he continues on with him. He says in verse 35, he says, Don't throw away your confidence. There it is, don't throw it away. There's great reward. You need to keep that confident faith, keep your passion, keep your boldness, keep your fervor for the Lord. Don't throw away you, the treasure you have in Jesus. Don't throw it away. Hold on with the full assurance of faith. And I think he's what he's telling him right now. He, and he just won't be straight up. He's saying, don't do stupid stuff. Don't. Don't turn away from Jesus. Don't do stupid stuff. I was just with my daughter this past Friday in Chattanooga. And we were driving in a car. She's going to college out there on Lookout Mountain in Georgia. But we're in Chattanooga close by, and we're driving by, and there's a cafe in Chattanooga. It's, it's called the Naughty Cat. It's a cafe. And inside the Naughty Cat Cafe, no joke, they have 30 cats. Some of you like, that is awesome. Some of you think that's a nightmare. So I'm with my daughter. I'm like, wow, that is so cool. 30 cats are in the cafe where you can eat and drink. And she's like, yeah, that'd be so cool. But if she went inside... For her, it would be a nightmare. Why? Because she is allergic to cats. So no matter how cool it seems, it would not be cool. So I would say to her, Jordan, don't do stupid stuff. Don't do that. And here's the exhortation here. Do not veer off of following Christ to do something that is going to be foolish and unwise and it's going to harm you. What are you thinking? Don't do that. You have need of endurance. Keep going. Verse 36 is where it's at. Feel free to underline it. You can even underline it in the pew Bible. I don't care. Verse 36. For you have need of endurance. There it is. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Their greatest need was to endure in doing the will of God. They have, may have thought the greatest need was to have their suffering alleviated, but there it is right there. Their greatest need was to press on and doing the will of God. I don't know what had been hindering them, the plundering, you know, the here we go again situation, but their greatest need was to do the will of God. You may think right now that your greatest need is healing. When your body is hurting, I totally get that. You may think that your greatest need is to have your marriage fixed and you can continue to pray for that and work toward that. You may think that your greatest need is to have your adult children and grandchildren and get their lives together and you can continue to pray for that. But your greatest need is to press on in doing the will of God. That is your greatest need. And some of us, say, go, well, you know what do you mean, what is the will of God? I mean, I could go on all day about that, but according to the Hebrews, what he's been telling them on and on again, he's saying, okay, pay more careful attention to the gospel so you don't drift away. He talks about, be diligent in your faith to the end. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep on loving each other. Keep the marriage bed pure. Keep your lives free from the love of money. On On and on and on and on and on and on and on he could go. Your greatest need, my greatest need, is to press on and doing the will of God. Why? Because Jesus is about to come back. Look at verse 37. For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This quote comes from a combination of words in Isaiah 2620 and Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4. And as the Hebrews were under great trials, they were They were to understand that Jesus was soon to come back. In fact, he will come back in a little while and not delay. Suffering and trials will not last forever. Did you know that your suffering has an expiration date, right? You know that? You're like, yeah, it's going to expire when I expire. Now that's when you're with the Lord or Jesus comes back. There's no time for the righteous to mess around with a lack of faithfulness to the will of God because the righteous one is to live by Faith. Now, what I find interesting in this whole book, he's giving them exhortation, he's giving them warnings, he's giving them encouragements to keep pressing on. So, but notice what he says in verse 39 He says, But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. And I believe he's speaking charitably to the whole church, right? I think he's speaking to the whole church. You will persevere in the will of God. You are doing a good job. However, there may be individuals within that church that may fall away. But he includes himself by saying, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. And I can say that confidently you. I've seen your past faithfulness. I've seen continued faithfulness. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but who persevere and are saved. Though there may be individuals in here, that the warnings may wake you up to keep going. The encouragements may wake you up to keep going. That you and I have need of endurance. So I'm going to say it again. I mean, this is so not popular teaching, right? No matter what is going on in our lives, and no matter how many times we face repeated trials, we need to persevere in doing the will of God. In fact, your greatest need is not to have all your problems fixed. Your greatest need is to persevere in doing the will of God. You have need of endurance. So I want to end here by giving you four miscellaneous things, all right? I don't know if these are applications or what. I just maybe stuff just to think about. Number one, here we go. Doing the will of God, even through suffering, is the path to the heavenly reward, salvation, and not the merit of the heavenly reward. Your suffering does not save you. That would be Jesus' suffering that saves you, right? But all those who follow Jesus are on this path, all right? We are going on this path to heaven. Jesus is our forerunner who's gone before us. And Jesus, he faced suffering and persecution. He was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. If we're falling on the same path, a lot of that same suffering and pain will come our way as well. He said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. 1 Thessalonians 3 3 says, we should not be disturbed because we are destined for these trials. So imagine the path we're on. As the song says, on the road marked with suffering. Do not think that something strange is happening to you that's not happening to your brothers and sisters in Christ, that somehow you've been selected, that you are Job out of the whole world that's, boom, getting it all. We walk this path of suffering. It's the path to heaven. It does not save us. Jesus saves us. The second thing is, get this, this life is a war and a constant struggle. Don't be surprised with the here we go against of life. And that's basically trying to say, don't play the victim. I don't know if anybody in here goes to counseling. I'm a fan of counseling. Been going for a long time. Uh, I like to talk to counselors, but one of the things that if I was a counselor, that would drive me nuts because I do counsel as well as a pastor, is is when you have people that explain all their problems by blame shifting, that all the things they've gone through in life and all the sins they're committing are because of someone else, and there's no personal responsibility. That's having a lack of self-awareness. Does it mean that things weren't horrible for you? But you need to know that life, life as a Christian is going to be hard. Life, life as a Christian does involve sufferings, and here we go again. And for those of you who are still in the child rearing phase, like all three of you, I just want to say that. It's like, yeah. My parenting advice would be don't. Shield your kids from pain. Don't try to fix every problem. Our kids need to grow muscles of trusting and obeying the Lord on their own. And if we're so quick to rush in and fix, they're not learning how to exercise these muscles of trust and obey. And they're going to graduate high school and college, and they're going to get a job, and they're going to wonder where all their participation trophies are. Because things not going to be life. It's not going to be easy. We need to let them go through hard things now where we can shield them and then, in the sense of counseling, shepherding them, showing how to respond. The third thing that's really hard for me to accept is don't rely on yesterday's perseverance for today's struggle. I don't know about you, but I'd like to think that when I have these great spiritual victories that there is this carryover effect that somehow my Bible reading, scripture memorization, faithfulness in past will enable me to kind of coast toward the finish line on and on. But did you know this? That each day is a new day. And we don't either re- rely on the past successes to just coast and assume we're going to coast? Because the Hebrews were like, yeah, we stood firm when they took our property. Yeah. We hung out with those in prison. Yeah. But what are you doing now? See, we can't coast. And, and I, I kind of, I've been thinking through this. Why can't I coast on my past spiritual successes? It's because God has set it up that way. God wants me to show up today and trust him for today. He wants me to rely upon him today for the struggles of today. Not to rely on the past success, not to worry about the future, but trust him for today. That's why I always get so weary when I interact with Christians who say, I went to a conference, I learned a principle, and now I no longer struggle. Really? It's built into the system that we struggle because we're trusting and we're daily showing up to spend time with God, to talk to him, to pour out our hearts to him, say, help us. Not coasting off of any principles or methods. We're in the word. We're drawing near to him. We're crying out to him and we're enjoying this relationship with him daily. And lastly, I want to say, perseverance in doing the will of God comes only from God through faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't want to get into big theological debates, but God perseveres those he saves, and those who are saved must persevere. It's both. I know there's a scripture, and you better stand on it. He started a good work in you. He's going to finish it. He began that good work. He's going to finish it but also the exhortation to you is, you have need of endurance. Keep going, keep persevering and do the will of God. And I know some of you will say, man, you are a terrible counselor. You didn't fix my problem. You didn't tell me how to get out of this reoccurring trial. And I just wanna say your biggest need is not to have your problems fixed but to persevere in the will of God in the midst of them. Did the author fix their problem? Did all of a sudden the persecutions go away and people stop getting thrown in jail and their property stopped being confiscated? No, that kept kept going. And they could pray for it to go away, but what happened to early churches just got ramped up? It got worse. You have need of endurance. I have need of endurance. God will give us mercy and grace, and he'll help us persevere. You just have to keep showing up. You just have to keep showing up. Because, you know, I've been journaling for about 30 years, almost every day. And if you read my journals, I'm constantly coming to God asking for big things. And I think he likes that. But too many times I think, God, my life would be so much better if you would fix that person. My life would be so much better if you just alter the circumstances and make me move. I'll move, God. I'll I'll, I'll go go overseas. Whatever you want. I'll do big things for you. Whatever. And, And God's word to me is like, you just need to keep showing up. You have need of endurance. It's a new day. Show up by getting in the word. Show up every day by praying. Show up every day by being in each other's lives. Showing up by taking your treasure, storing them up in heaven. Showing up by taking risk of faith. Just keep showing up. You have need of endurance. And after you have done the will of God, you'll receive what was promised. The reward. Jesus.